This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 19, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. This year's Economic Freedom of the World Index details the strong relationships between economic freedom and the institutions it fosters and higher standards of living. Ian Vasquez, director of the Cato Institute's Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity, discusses the latest findings. Economic freedom is strongly related to prosperity and to growth, and we now have several decades of empirical data showing that the more economically free a country is, the better its performance, not just on economic indicators, but on the whole range of of human development indicators and uh, indicators of human well-being, from infant mortality to access to to clean water to life expectancy. Uh, the, the, The numbers are really startling. Countries that are in the most free quartile uh, of this ranking have incomes that are around $40,000 per capita. If you go to the next uh, free quartile, the average incomes are about half as much. So that even what are apparently small differences in levels of economic freedom make big differences in outcomes. People would like to say, oh, well, you're talking about rich countries. So, of course, they can afford to have economic freedom. There have now been uh, dozens and dozens of academic studies looking into the relationship between economic freedom and outcomes like uh, growth and and prosperity. And uh, almost without exception, they show that the causation goes from economic freedom and the the policies and institutions of economic freedom to uh, those outcomes. Which countries have improved the most? If you look at the the years for which we have data, and that this report uh, actually records, the countries that have made tremendous progress have been countries like China and India, the two most populous countries on the on the planet. They're still uh, relatively un, unfree countries, but they started from such a low point in terms of economic freedom. They had very repressed economies and uh, very low incomes that. That explains why those two countries have had high growth rates for decades. We're talking about growth rates between 8 and 10% for decades. And that also explains why global inequality, which had been going up for centuries, in this era of globalization, when economic freedom increased, has started to, to decline. The rich and the, the, the gap between the rich and the poor in the world has been closing. And the gap in other indicators has been closing even faster like uh, lifespans, like access to safe drinking water, and so on. How much of that uh, gap closing has been uh, rich, economically free countries losing ground? Only, only partially and only in the last uh, several years, especially since the, the financial crisis, which led so many countries like the United States and the OECD advanced economies to increase their size of government, their regulation, and so on, which has reduced their economic freedom. But there, too, we've seen a convergence. If you just look at levels of economic freedom in poor countries and levels of economic freedom in rich countries, you've seen the, the, that gap close. And most of it is due to the increase in economic freedom in poor countries. And in every continent, you've, you've seen an increase in, in economic freedom in the last several decades, with some countries like Chile uh, and Estonia and Peru uh, standing out, uh, Botswana and so on in, in Africa. And so that convergence in terms of economic freedom helps explain why there's been this dramatic drop in global poverty levels from 
30 and 40 percent a few decades ago to less than 10 percent in the past year. This is unprecedented in world history. Now, it's, it's a great untold story, and we have to repeat it over and over, that uh, poverty has been in staggering decline. The data speaks for itself. People sometimes think that uh, things are getting worse, but that's a very uninformed view. I feel like I ask you this every time we talk about this report, but what are the relationships between countries that have uh, good policies, good institutions with respect to uh, economic freedom and their neighbors? Well, what you tend to see is that uh, groupings of, of countries um, tend to follow similar kinds of policies. So you see, for example, Central Europe, which uh, since the early 1990s is what I would consider a success story, uh, not just in terms of uh, increases in economic freedom, but economic performance and uh, higher levels of political freedom. This makes sense because what we've seen is that there's a strong relationship between economic freedom and political and civil liberties. More economic freedom is correlated uh, with those other uh, liberties. We see in Latin America uh, some countries that have gone populist and other countries uh, that have increased their levels of economic freedom. Those tend to be the ones that are on the Pacific coast with a couple of exceptions. And they're the ones that have signed free trade agreements with the United States and that are negotiating other free trade agreements, whereas the, the, the ones that have reduced their levels of economic freedom, and those really are the exceptions, uh, really stand out like Venezuela, like Argentina, like, like Bolivia. Another interesting observation from the data that the Economic Freedom Project has been collecting over the years is the drop in economic uh, freedom uh, of the rich countries. This has not only occurred in the United States, though the United States is the major economy whose uh, level of economic freedom has dropped most dramatically. The average uh, fall in economic freedom of the OECD countries uh, has, has also been notable. And like the United States in the past year or two, has started to pick up, but it hasn't reached the, the high level that it reached sometime in the past uh, decade. So that you see sort of a, a pattern of several decades leading up into the, the year 2000 and a little bit beyond of steady increases in economic freedom among rich countries, and then a, and then a big fall, and then st starting to increase again after sort of the recovery from uh, the Great Recession, but not, st not yet up to the levels of uh, of where it was before, and certainly in the United States, it's still f far behind, which is why it ranks 16th on, on the ranking rather than two or three, which had traditionally been the case for decades up until the year 2000. I spoke recently with Marion Tupi, and uh, he described an Economist article that had been written in 2000 about Africa, and they called it a hopeless continent. And that was uh, at the beginning, he, he noted, of uh, many countries in Africa really making great strides from, again, a fairly low baseline, as a lot of these countries have had. But what are the, uh, what are the positive stories in Africa in terms of economic, economic freedom, economic development, and uh, wealth? Well, every region of the world has increased its level of economic freedom since the 1990s. Africa really has always been the laggard 
in terms of policies, institutions, and social and economic outcomes. It still is, but today the story is way different than it, it used to be because there is actually more economic freedom uh, than before. Some countries, like Botswana, like uh, Ghana, uh, have introduced reforms that uh, have propelled them beyond what, obviously, the economists expected. New technologies have come in, which have liberated people. And uh, that's partially the result of some deregulation, but partially because those areas like cell phone use weren't regulated. And this has empowered millions of poor people who have cell phones and can conduct business uh, better and are enriching themselves. Africa still lags behind. It definitely benefited from the commodities boom uh, in the last decade, and so that increased its, its growth rates. And if it wants to continue to perform like it did be before, it really does need to continue to, to reform. And countries in the developing world that have increased their levels of economic freedom are discovering that. China is discovering that now as its growth rates have fallen to 6%, which is low for China country that's been used to 10% growth rates, and probably that number, which is the official number, is not the true number, maybe the real number is 4 or 5%. They're discovering that if they want to continue high growth rates, they need to continue reform. They need to continue to increase levels of economic freedom. How does uh, this report either jibe with or contradict uh, the efforts or claims of what we would call the aid industrial complex, that is, the, the groups that uh, sort of are, their existence is based on providing aid, monitoring aid in, in various poor countries around the world. I think the main message of this report is a, is a positive one, which is that uh, countries can be the drivers of their own destiny, that the, the progress of a country depends on its domestic policies and institutions and much less on outside factors like geography or the weather or foreign aid for that matter. And if you look at the relationship between foreign aid and growth, there is no relationship. If you look at the relationship between foreign aid and economic freedom, there's not a strong relationship or increases in economic freedom. Sometimes the aid industry says, um, we should provide aid to promote reforms. As it turns out, that doesn't really work. Countries take the money and don't reform. Or countries reform and it has no relationship to the decades of aid that they had been receiving. It has to do with domestic, uh, political, and economic uh, situations. So the, the bottom line, the takeaway, is that uh, the policies and institutions of countries that are determined locally are the ones that determine in the medium and the long term the performance of those countries. Ian Vasquez directs the Cato Institute Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.